0: everyone. This is Kim Schott. I'm your host of the Breast of Everything podcast, and I'm joined this evening with Dr. Lindsay Gold and Dr. Lara Devgen. Dr. Devgen is a top board certified plastic surgeon and founder of the luxury medical grade skincare line, Dr. Devgen's Scientific Beauty. She trained at Yale University, Johns Hopkins Medical School, and the New York Presbyterian Hospital of Columbia and Cornell. Dr. Devgan has made a career caring for some of the most beautiful and frequently photographed faces in the world. And she is an expert in Botox and other injectables for the face, breasts, and body. Her special interests include cosmetic surgery of the face and body and reconstructive surgery for breast cancer, skin cancer, and facial Injuries. So, welcome, Dr. Devgin, and welcome, Dr. Gold. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is so fun. Oh, I am so glad that you were able to join us tonight. As I mentioned, I have listened to Beauty Boss's podcast, and it's amazing to hear your just the wealth of information that you share about skincare as well as Botox. And so let me first ask, since we know that Botox is the most popular cosmetic procedure in the US, what is the best indication for Botox? And and how does it even work?
1: Well, Botox is the brand name for neuromodulators or that class of drug that is more commonly known as wrinkle smoothing injections. And neuromodulators work by relaxing muscles that are responsible for facial movement to a very slight degree. And when they do that, it's kind of like ironing out a sheet or a piece of paper that has deeply etched furrows. And um, when you do that, you can get an improvement in skin quality. So Botox takes a couple of minutes. It lasts for about three months. And when you get a Botox injection, it relaxes skin quality and improves the appearance of fine lines and deeply etched furrows in the face.
2: Fascinating. So this is like a side question. You know how people say, oh, uh, you know, People say all kinds of things, right, to you, you know, WebMD and whatnot. But this is a myth that I've always wanted to know. Is it, in fact, a myth? If you were to Botox before you got or use neuromodulators before you got wrinkles, would it prevent wrinkles? Probably not, I would assume.
1: Yes and no. preventative Botox is a thing. Um, because yeah, um, if Botox is used judiciously and preventatively, you can avoid the formation of deeply etched fine lines. I personally started doing Botox when I was 28. And I think the gold standard, if you, if you are into this sort of thing and you care about facial aging in this way, the caveat being that this is a totally voluntary elective procedure. If you don't want to do this, you do not have to do this. You can be perfectly beautiful and confident and whatever you want to be, however you want to be. But if you care about this, the ideal time to start Botox is when you have the skin quality you'd like to maintain. So
0: awesome. I started using
1: Botox when I was 28, when I had very good skin quality. And you know now, many years later, I have essentially the same skin quality and I think the reason that you see something like that happen is because of the concept of preventative botox. If you oh. don't create deeply etched lines then they don't form in the first place. And so, you know, you can't completely stop the concept of aging nor would you want to. You don't want to look abnormal, but <laughs> right. if 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 you're not making deep creases, then they don't form. And the face is almost, the dermis, the skin is almost like a piece of paper. If you keep folding it back and forth, you're going to get really deep creases in it. And if you don't fold it and you keep it nice and pristine, then you won't.
2: Wow, that is the greatest, that is the greatest thing I've ever heard. That's the best answer. I was hoping you would say that, but then I was thinking, eh, couldn't possibly be true. Sadly, I would like to tell my 28 year old self to do that. But here we are two decades later, and it is what it is. But that is a great answer. I hope everybody, all of the listeners are super excited about that. But what might you say to a listener who would be concerned that Botox would maybe make them look unnatural or sort of freeze their face?
1: Botox is not a binary option. It's not an on or off switch where it's black or white. There's an entire gray area between natural and frozen. And I think that's what pop culture has failed to capture and communicate to the general public, where you don't need to go from being your natural self to being a totally frozen, different Humanoid plastic other person, you can have a very subtle and natural looking result. And in my opinion, the most natural looking Botox results are ones where you retain natural normal movement, and you just have better skin quality and slightly fewer wrinkles. And actually some of the prettiest Botox results are not really even about wrinkles in the first place. You can do really artful, artistic, beautiful things with Botox. Like you can do a Botox brow lift. You can make the eyebrow position more symmetrical. You can make the eyes look larger. You can do a Botox lip flip where you evert the vermilion border to make the pink lip look a little bit Higher or more pouty, you can reduce the gumminess of the smile, you can slim the masseter muscles to make the lower third of the face look a little bit more refined, you can elongate or tighten the neck muscles of the platysma muscles in the neck, you can reduce tension in the trapezoid muscles to get that long, elongated Modigliani, you know, neckline. Um, you can even slim the calves, you can reduce sweating. There are many applications of Botox that don't even have anything to do with freezing the face or getting rid of wrinkles. So I, I think Botox overall is extremely poorly understood in the media, and it has been a one, it's become a one-word catch-all for bad work that has been done that you see
0: from a mile away and looks dysmorphic, but that's really not what it is at all. Dr. Devgan, those are fantastic answers. And wow, I just, uh, I learned so much more about Botox than I had ever learned before. But what's the difference between Botox and dermal fillers? Like, do they all fall into the category of injectables? And when would you recommend Botox over dermal fillers and vice versa? So Botox is
1: a wrinkle smoother that relaxes muscle function and is not space occupying. So you can think about Botox as a little wrinkle eraser. It's most commonly used in the upper third of the face. So, you know, the forehead, the crow's feet, the lines between the eyebrows, for brow lifting, in the neck bands, slimming the masseter muscles, that's Botox. Filler is, totally different. Filler is a clear jelly gel that is most frequently made out of hyaluronic acid, which is a naturally occurring sugar molecule that is the major component of the body's own collagen. And hyaluronic acid-based filler or dermal filler, which I usually just refer to as filler for yeast, can be used in many different ways. First of all, I think, as an aside, that filler is totally mismarketed because the word "filler" connotes puffy pillow face, and it just scares people. So, don't be scared. Right. It doesn't have to be like that. Um, so, bear with me for one second, and don't be scared. Um, so, filler can actually be used in a lot of different ways. It can be used to create structure, like a beautiful structured jawline, or zygoma, or cheekbone. Like, think of a pretty structured model like Kate Moss or Giselle and that, you know, nice structural architecture of the face. Filler can also be used to create volume, like with uh, lip augmentation or vertical height of the lip. It can be used to improve hollowing as in for tear trough augmentation, which is the deep Infraorbital hollow under the eye for someone who has dark circles. And it can be used in novel and unexpected ways, like for non-surgical rhinoplasty, which is a procedure that I've worked on a lot academically, and that's the use of dermal filler as if it were a surgical cartilage graft to improve the structure, contour, and lift of the nose. It can almost look like an actual surgical result with things like this. And filler has come a long way since the dysmorphic puffy pillow face looks that you may be thinking of in your mind when you hear that word. And it can really be used to replace anything from bone to cartilage to subdermal tissue to fat, depending on the amount, type, and level of the tissue where it's placed. Wow. Wow. That's, that
2: is fascinating. So um, could you walk us through some of the different kinds of facial fillers and explain exactly what they correct?
1: There are many, many different brands of facial fillers that are FDA approved in the United States. And actually there are many, many, many different kinds that are approved for use in um, Europe and the rest of the world. The amount that we have available in America is a small subset of what's available in the rest of the world. But I think that mm-hmm. the main categories are hyaluronic acid-based fillers, calcium-based fillers, and collagen biostimulating fillers like lactic acid. The gold standard, in my opinion, is hyaluronic acid-based fillers. And I think about fillers according to something called rheology. And for those of you science nerds like me out there, you know that rheology is the study of fluid properties. And with fillers, as I was talking about, as we were discussing earlier, fillers are really clear jelly gels that are made out of this complex sugar molecule, sodium hyaluronate, the major component of the body's collagen. And they can have different cohesivities, densities, viscosities, and G primes. And G prime is a measure of a fluid's ability to lift tissues uh, or liftability. And depending on these different properties, different fillers can be better or worse suited for different areas of the face and different tissue planes. So for example, if you're trying to do something very structural, like create a bony cheekbone or do a non-surgical rhinoplasty, you may want to use a very structured filler with a high G prime and high cohesivity and high density. However, if you're trying to soften the tear trough of a very thin skinned individual in a very delicate periorbital plane, you might want just the opposite a very thin, light, low viscosity filler. And so I think for the purposes of this podcast, to keep it simple, the best way to think about fillers is to think about your areas of anatomic concern and to speak to and consult with a well-versed, board-certified plastic surgeon with extensive anatomic expertise. And I can't emphasize that enough because in this era of 2022 and beyond, there are very few rules and regulations about plastic surgery. In the United States at least. And it's really mm-hmm. become something of the wild west of medicine where it seems really easy. We see all these time-lapse videos. I mean, half of them I'm half of them I made, so I feel bad for <laughs> contributing for, for contributing to this mess that we're in. It seemed like a good idea at the time. So sorry if I made the bed that I'm now lying in. But um, you know, you see a 10-second cool time-lapse video of a non-surgical rhinoplasty, and it looks so Bloody easy that you feel yeah. like a five-year, like a five-year-old could do it, <laughs> and then you forget that there are forty-three muscles of facial expression and a hundred thousand little mini bifurcated blood vessels, and you know tens of thousands of tiny little nerve branches in the face, and that you know there are real serious risks with neurotoxins and fillers. Mm-hmm that include tissue necrosis and permanent blindness. And there have even been reported wow. deaths due to embolization of fillers into the cavernous sinus of the brain and stroke. And, oh my. you know, like bad stuff is real and can happen. And yet there are situations where people are one minute out of school, one minute out of med school, one minute out of nursing school, like one minute out of a three-hour how, to, how I do it course, and then yep. they're sticking, sticking needles in people's faces, you know, at a pop-up shop. And yep. that's the world that we live in. So be very careful. I don't think that you can listen to this podcast or any podcast or go down a Google rabbit hole and figure out which filler is going to be best for you. Um, it's just way beyond the scope of anything like that. It's very cool and interesting. And I'm not saying that you should become an ostrich and bury your head in the sand. You should gain information. But on some level, like everything in medicine, it requires expertise. And yes. as we all know, as Malcolm Gladwell emphasized in his book, <laughs> it takes mm-hmm. 10,000 hours at least to become an expert in anything. And that's a yeah. very long time. That's the length of a surgical residency. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So was that before or after work hour restrictions? I wonder, but yeah, that's very true. And, you know, just in medicine in general, you don't know what, you know, patients don't know what they don't know. That's a tough problem, even in my field, right? You have general surgeons who do breast surgery and fellowship trained breast surgeons who do breast surgery, and it's not the same breast surgery. So probably a dentist, you know, not trying to offend Dennis, but somebody three seconds out of their weekend course or somebody who does not have the training you have does not do the same stuff that basically can't assess the face and the needs and the different types of things that you do. That was really just an unbelievable explanation of how you use these things. Fascinating. So beyond your expertise in injectables, you've been ranked the number one female cosmetic surgeon in New York and featured as a super doctor's rising star in the New York Times Magazine, what would you say to women who are interested in cosmetic surgery, but don't wanna change the feeling of their facial identity, right? They don't wanna be one of those people that somebody talks about that says, oh my God, they had work done and they don't look the same.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting. I think in many ways, identity is more important than beauty. And it's something that I think about as a woman who is aging and above average attractive, but aging. And like, I I consider myself a person of substance and I've always led with my brain, not my looks, but, mm-hmm. but I like to feel confident. And I think it's a topic that matters to a lot of people, but um, identity is important. What I would say is that plastic surgery is surgery of millimeters and having a plastic surgical procedure is like commissioning an artist to make a very beautiful and very high stakes painting for you. And you need to, to have a good experience, you need to find an artist whose work you like, you need to have a good relationship with that person and you need to have a level of communication and trust with them, and they need to understand what you want. And Mm -hmm. so it's all, it's all of those things, right? You can't, you can't go to Picasso if you want a Monet. Also, Monet has to understand if you want the water lilies or the haystacks. And so you, you, you need to communicate what you want. And I think it can be helpful to bring reference images, knowing that, knowing that your surgeon is not going to make you look like Exactly like your photos that you bring in, but just for the purpose of communication. And then I think that there is trust involved. But mm-hmm. for me in my practice, I like to use reference images so that I make sure I understand what my patients want. I also, in my practice, as part of my consultations for surgeries, especially for the face, since we're talking about facial identity, I will take standardized photos. I'll have a patient, especially for facial aging procedures, I'll have a patient bring in photos of themselves from younger ages. So for example, if I'm doing a facelift, neck lift, blepharoplasty, I'll have a patient bring in photos of themselves from their 20s, 30s, 40s, every decade of life starting in their adulthood. And that will become part of their medical record. And I'll review those images so that I can understand how their face has changed over time and use that to inform little things that affect what I do. I think That's we all have we, we all have seen these news stories and you know, I don't wanna really talk about specific celebrities because it can be sure cruel because we've seen these news stories. Like a few years ago, there was a news story that made the rounds of someone who was not my patient, who had an eyelid surgery that was very overdone and she looked really different. And everyone was like, oh my God, her face is so different. And Mm -hmm. it was a technically well done operation, Mm -hmm. but it was overdone. Her upper lip bluff was over resected and it didn't look like her anymore. Mm -hmm. And that was a decision of two millimeters, you know, just in my opinion, I'm just, you know, ad-libbing from the daily mail or whatever, whatever I saw on on the internet, not somebody I know or treated. But I think that decisions like that on a surgeon's part can be avoided By understanding that, oh, that person, even when they were 20, had bedroom eyes that were heavy lidded. And so a lot of it is communication. Yeah. That's what I would say.
2: Yeah. That's fascinating and such a good point. I would imagine managing expectations as well as part of that conversation on both ends what's possible, what's not possible. Or maybe somebody wants to look a little bit different, right? Maybe they, you know, they're trying to sort of create a different identity that I guess that would be fine as well. So our podcast audience is primarily women undergoing treatment for breast cancer, breast cancer survivors, and your website is a great resource about breast cancer reconstruction. So what would you say women need to know about their rights when it comes to reconstructive surgery?
1: Women should know that breast cancer Treatment and breast cancer reconstruction are both considered medically necessary and covered by health insurance. So, if it's something that you want to do for yourself, you should make all of the options available to yourself. If you are in a situation where you need to have a lumpectomy or mastectomy or get some kind of treatment for breast cancer, you're entitled to also have reconstructive surgery or at least learn of your reconstructive options. And that's something that's part of your health insurance.
2: Yes, absolutely. So you have a medical grade skincare line. I'd love for you to tell us more about it and what inspired you to create Dr. Devkin's scientific beauty product collection. You know, what are some of the skin conditions your products address?
1: what inspired me was really just the goal of trying to bring a little bit of the magic of my medical practice into my patients, you know, bathrooms and vanities. Mm -hmm. And I can't really scale myself. I really love what I do. I'm super passionate about it. As you can probably tell with the way I speak about my field, I super love what I do. And Actually, my kids the other day were asking me what I would do if I had everything in the world. Like, what would mm-hmm. I do? And I was like, I, what do you mean? I would, this is what I would do. I'm right. doing it. Like, I really like what I do. This is what I would do. But I can't scale myself. And there are a lot of people who I'm not able to see in person. And there are also a lot of people who are not totally ready for a plastic surgery intervention who maybe don't want to do erbium laser resurfacing just yet, or who are not quite ready to do gold microinfusion microneedling to improve their skin quality, or who like the idea of Botox, but honestly, they're still sort of scared by the neuromodulator conversation that we were having before. And so the goal of my medical grade skincare line was to bring evidence-based medicine and science-backed ingredients into skincare products because we've all been to fancy department stores and big box retailers and seen products that some are at affordable price points, some are at really expensive price points, but a lot of them have crazy ingredients in them like caviar and truffles and Really fancy sounding stuff that has no clinical meaning and no efficacy. And there is a huge body of research on PubMed that the scientific community has largely agreed upon that makes a difference in the appearance and quality and health of the skin, which at the end of the day is our body's largest organ. You know, we would never do something completely random for our. Liver or our kidneys or our right. heart, and and yet we put like totally random things on our skin, which is just an organ. Um, uh-huh. And so, my skincare line aims to treat concerns including signs of aging like fine lines, also things like hyperpigmentation and melasma. Mm-hmm. It improves the quality and luster of the skin. Some of our best-selling products also address more fun concerns like the appearance of the eyelashes, the plumping of the lips. Um, And, you know, our best sellers are Platinum Lip Plump, which is a medical grade lip plumping gloss that harnesses the power of hyaluronic acid, niacin and ceramides to create a one to two millimeter visible plumping of the lips. Platinum Long Lash, which is our phytopeptide-based eyelash and eyebrow serum. Mm -hmm. Um, And our serum superheroes, which is a very edited collection of a mixed molecular weight hyaluronic acid serum, um, vitamin C, B, E, and ferulic acid serum, and um, retinol bakuchiol serum. And together, those three products are really the essentials for what you really need for skin quality.
2: That's unbelievable. Yeah. Your wealth of knowledge is just incredible impressive. I mean, incredibly impressive.
0: I know. I was going to say the same thing. That (laughs) that response was absolutely unbelievable. Thank you. (laughs) Yes.
2: Yes. Well, what other skincare treatments, peels, lasers, whatever, whatever's out there might you recommend to women who want to maintain a youthful radiant complexion, but maybe don't want to have a surgical procedure. Maybe they're using products, but they want to go one step further. Any advice? For those of us, I'm going to include myself in that (laughs) category. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I slightly alluded to this just now, but Mm -hmm. um, my favorite, favorite, favorite laser is the Erbium laser, E-R-B-I-U-M. And an Erbium laser is an ablative resurfacing laser that is a very beautiful way to get a control-alt-delete of your skin. And it improves Mm. fine lines, hyperpigmentation, gets some collagen induction, and really polishes off the exterior most layer of the skin to reveal beautiful, fresh epithelial cells below. It's a really nice way to improve overall turgor, texture, and luster of the skin. Energy settings on the erbium laser can be modulated so that it has a moderate to minimal amount of downtime depending on what you have going on and because the erbium laser is selectively targeting water molecules in the skin it's not as damaging to surrounding structures as old school ablative lasers like the co2 laser mm-hmm. or a fractionated co2 laser aka fraxel and Those are less modern, in my opinion, because they are at once more aggressive and less specific. An erbium laser is achieves more, but it has less collateral damage. So it's almost like a smart bomb. It does more, but Hmm. without getting so much damage done. So I think that that's very helpful.
2: Wow, is that widely available or not really?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, mean, I, I think um, it should be. I can't imagine that it's, an, I can't imagine that you wouldn't be able to get that in any city you live in in this country. Okay. And then I love the idea of gold micro infusion microneedling. And most people have heard of regular microneedling, mm-hmm. but micro infusion microneedling is similar in concept. The difference is that instead of solid-bore needles that make holes in the dermis. Microinfusion microneedling uses hollow-bore needles, and those are attached to a little vial that contains a customized cocktail of Botox, hyaluronic acid, and platelet-rich plasma, which is a blood product derivative mm-hmm. that's rich in growth factors to ramp up stem cell activity. And that customized cocktail is then put in the sterile vial and then the hollow bore needles are spring loaded. So you can micro inject this cocktail about 500 microns deep into your dermis to create not only collagen induction from the needles themselves, but you also are delivering intradermal Botox into the level of the skin that will get you this really beautiful. Poreless glass skin look. So, I don't want to make this overly complicated. I'm realizing Mm. that I'm getting like extremely (laughs) esoteric. So, I'm going to just like pause because I was getting, I'm getting like too into my own stuff right now. But let me pause and just tell your listeners that this is the Botox facial, AKA the glass skin facial. And if you want to hear me blather on about it, just like DM me and I'll tell you more. Yeah. (laughs)
2: oh that's
0: awesome that is awesome and I think people will do that
1: (laughs) I know I I, to. (laughs) I just like I mean I think I was like getting into a science trance just now so sorry Ah, no it's so interesting
2: (laughs) I could listen I know I'm
1: like I'm like (laughs) so into this stuff sometimes that when I'm talking to my husband or kids Uh they're like Laura, what are you saying? And I'm like <laughs> like, sorry sweetie. I was like I was I was getting really into it. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> it's probably why you are as good as you are, right? It has to be part of your fabric. Right? Yes,
1: it's in that's, the fabric.
2: It's, it's in the fabric. Oh, really? So that's fascinating. I mean, really. Mm, I love it. So we could go on for days and that would be awesome. We don't want to keep you forever, but what would be the best way for our audience to follow your work? And might you have a special offer for our listeners?
1: Yes, the best way to follow my work is on my Instagram and my TikTok, which are both at Lara Devgan, MD, which is my name, L-A-R-A-D-E-V-G-A-N-M-D, for medical doctor and my skincare Instagram and TikTok are Dr. Lara Devgan, Dr. Lara Devkin. Mm-hmm. And yes, I would love to have your listeners have a special offer. So if anyone is listening to this, just DM my team and we will be sure to give you guys a special offer and we can send your listeners a discount code for skincare purchases.
2: Oh, that's amazing. I might be the first person to do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. everybody I'll, beat you. I'll beat you to
0: it.
1: <laughs> yeah, let me work with my team and we'll get yeah. that right over to you.
2: Ah, amazing.
1: Just yeah. amazing. Especially like and our serum superheroes, our peptide eye cream and our platinum long lash, platinum lip lump. Those are like the amazing go-to ones.
2: Oh, I'm so excited. I'm probably going to get off and buy it. <laughs> Kim, I'll, I'll race you, Kim.
0: <laughs> That's right. We're going to be racing each other to your website. 100, oh, mine's man. already pulled up. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a fascinating, really fascinating podcast. And Dr. Devkin, do you have any special offers that you, uh, you want to announce at this point before we wrap everything up? I would love to. Yeah.
1: If you guys, if anyone listening to this wants to try any of our products, you can shop online at drlaradevgan.com. So D-R-L-A-R-A-D-E-V-G-A-N.com. And you can use code breast for 15% off your purchase remember to try. So like some of my favorite products, if you guys are new to the line are our serum superheroes that I was talking about before are peptide eye cream, platinum long lash and platinum lip plump. Those are our best sellers. And I think if you're new to medical grade skincare, those are actual evidence-based products that you're going to really love. So the breast as in the breast of everything, because I'm so happy you guys
0: invited me on and I hope you love them.
2: Oh, we will. Uh,
0: We definitely will. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Devgan. Thank you, Dr. Gold, again, for a wonderful podcast. And I just wish everyone listening a wonderful week. Take care. Bye now.